Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Welcome all of you watching online. Stand with me if you would, please. Hold your Bibles up high. I'll give you a minute since this is the first service of the day. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive, and I will never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, we're glad that you're here today, and uh, we welcome all of you watching online, watching live, and those of you who are watching this recorded message. Uh, we've been doing this series on uh, the things that disturb us, and this little door hanger reminds us, do not be disturbed. So as I was thinking through all of this, I was thinking through what are the things that most disturb people? Um, and so I'm going to shift a little bit because I think one of the most disturbing things in, in our faith or lack of faith is whether or not we're saved. Uh, when I first got saved, I was constantly disturbed by the thought that the things I did or didn't do, the things I would do that were wrong and things I didn't do that were right, uh, were grounds for me to be removed from the book of life, separated from a relationship with God, and so many Christians, even mature Christians that have served God for a long time, often ask that question is, well, is uh, there such a thing as once saved, always saved? And uh, it's a disturbing conversation because there are usually very polarized thoughts on both sides of this. There are people that believe that once you get born again, that uh, you, it's possible if you don't do all the right things to lose your salvation. And that's been a debate forever and, and probably will continue to be a debate from now until whenever. But the problem with that is, and, and I know you want me to give you an answer, and I'm going to give you my answer. But I, the challenge is this, is that I did nothing to start with to contribute to my salvation. So if I did nothing to start with to contribute to my salvation, how can I do anything to sustain it? Now, when I say this, please understand, this is not a license to be stupid. But what it is, is a truth that says, if God says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you, that to me is a very clear signal that God is going to be with me always. Now, with that said, uh, again, it's not like saying, well, just go do whatever you want. There, there are two things I want to present. One is that um, we're not working for a platform of grace. We're working from a platform of grace. So, in other words, my life is, is I'm not, some days I'm not saved, and other days I am saved. That's spiritual schizophrenia. That, you know, well, today I feel saved. Well, there are days I feel more saved than other days. But, again, it's not those who feel their God. It's those who know their God. 
are the ones that do exploits. So what we have to realize is there will be times, there will be seasons that, that we are more disturbed than others because we're fighting through things. We're, we're challenged. And I'm going to share this with you. I debated whether I would share it with you or not, but I'm going to share this with you because it came from the darkest moment of my life. And I would write every day, hours every day. And I wrote this, this one day. It says, in the sparse shadows of the midday sun, I realize that there is yet a race I must run. I possess the promise of your life-giving spirit. It's your voice carried by the breeze. I can hear it. There will be easy and rough days ahead. There will be moments of visions and minutes of dread. Maybe even blood, sweat, and tears. But you can be trusted. You've shown me throughout the years. Today I stand on a new battlefield and your spirit within me refuses to yield. As the war for my destiny rages, you remain the rock of all ages. Now I lean in the direction of your choosing, knowing with you on my side there is no losing. The road that I face may not be easy and is certainly long, but by following the way of the cross, I will remain strong. So as I approach this new day, I will be diligent to follow your way. For the way of Christ and Golgotha have clearly shown that the life that I live is not my own. So that was born out of me when I was going through this time of realizing that God would never quit on me. Therefore, I must never quit on God. And so it, it relieved me of, of so much disturbance, personal disturbance in my life that I try to share as often as I feel is acceptable without creating a platform for my life, but creating a message for your life that will bring hope to you in your darkest hours, and that disturbance will not rule you, but you will be ruled by the Holy Spirit. And one person wrote, and, and we talk a lot about the New Testament and grace in the New Testament, but God's always been a God of grace. There's never been a time in the history of the Alpha and Omega that there hasn't been grace extended to His creation, and that if the challenge is, depending on your personality type, depending on uh, how you were raised and, and your understanding of religion, uh, it may be very difficult for you to really enjoy your life because every day you're measuring your life against the things you do or the things you've done. And that's a very disturbing way to live a Christian life. And so I always tell people, I say, you know, never define your life or allow your life to be defined by one moment, one sin, or sins that you may commit. You see, the real challenge is people don't take into consideration is that the Spirit is from God, and everything about us is from God. However, our minds... You've heard you, you have a mind of your own. Everybody has a mind of their own. That's the problem, is that we all have a mind of our own. But the mind is also renewable. But that renewing process is a lifelong process. And I am very thankful for the day in which we live where we're not afraid any longer to talk about mental illness. And you guys have heard me say it many times that if somebody has the flu, you never condemn them. You never look at somebody, well, that's just stupid. You have the flu. Why do you have the flu? 
Would you go out amongst people? Sure you did because we live in a world filled with people. If somebody has cancer, you never go up to somebody who has cancer, even if they smoke, and say, well, you know, you're just so ridiculous. You deserve this. You don't do that, do you? You have empathy. But when somebody's struggling mentally, all of a sudden we become the judge. And the reality is mental illness, even if for a moment, will affect all of us at some point. And it has affected all of us. I consider myself to have been mentally ill for several years during the worst time of my life. I was mentally ill. And I can say that without any regret or apology. I hate it, but I wasn't thinking right. Now, was I saved? Yeah, I was saved. But for some reason, I gave permission to my thoughts or my mind to contradict what the Spirit wanted me to do. Does that make me not saved? Absolutely not. I was as saved then as I am now. I'm a very happy camper right now. Doing well. My mind is not sneezing. So I could have easily been disturbed, but I knew that God would never let me go. In fact, in some of your worst times, God presses in even stronger because you need him even more. So for those of you struggling with, am I saved? I've done so many things. I haven't been to church in forever. I, I, I'm sure God is disappointed in me. I'm sure God is not disappointed in you. Do I think you ought to be in church? Absolutely. I think all of us should. I've had people say, I said, well, you know, you just need to listen to some sermons. Oh, there it is. You're pointing me out. No, no. I need to listen to sermons. I listen to other sermons all the time. Matter of fact, one of the guys I listened to just passed away, a pastor of First Presbyterian Church in New York City, Tim Keller, a great teacher, not of my persuasion, not of my expression, but a very wise teacher of the Bible. And I would listen to him regularly, and I still will, and listen to all of his stuff. But the problem is, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Your faith can be taken under if you're not listening to the Word of God. It's very, very important. And and mental illness is more likely to happen when we remove ourselves from listening to the wisdom of the Word. And so it's very, very important that we not get caught up in this argument, well, you know... And, and just talking before service, I usually have a pre-service conversation just to kind of filter things. And, and Brandon was asking me, he said, well, so, you know, is, is uh, you know, let's say you get saved, a person gets saved, and, and, and their behavior never changes. Well, religion says well, you must not be saved or you would act differently. And, you know, the reality is you would hope somebody would act differently not to impress God but to experience God. See, when you're experiencing God, you're experiencing this joy, this peace, this love that passes understanding. And so when people get saved, sometimes I've seen people change and sometimes I've not seen people change. So is it my job to tell them you're not saved? When they look at you and say, I accepted Christ on this date. Yeah, we want them to be saved, but I want them, I want them to be saved for the, the, the glory of God and all the promises of God, not to prove to me they're saved, because they don't have to prove anything to me. People don't have to prove anything to you. And I know the scripture, let your light so shine before men that they might see, you know. I get all that. But the reality is, for us to in any way think that we have contributed to our salvation is, to me, missing the mark. Because I can't, I can't tell you Every day that I'm going to behave in a salvation way. And you can't either. And if you think you can and you're telling me you can, you are a Pharisee. 
Because that's exactly what the Pharisees did. They went around and proving, they wanted to prove to everybody that they were the select of God, the elect of God, the sect of God. And, and so they did everything they could by works, and they were thinking they were honoring God, but the greatest way we honor God is to hold our hands up and say, without you, I'm nothing. I cannot be saved. I can't know anything good. I can't do anything good. I can't be anything good without you. There's a difference. And religion says, God, I'm going to prove to you that I deserve everything that you want to offer me. You have basically just told God your grace is not worth a whole lot, and I really don't need it that much. I need a little bit. So religion is different than walking in the Spirit of God. And the challenge is that people who are legalistic pepper their religion with God, and people who are saved peppered their relationship with God with works. Both are miserable. Now, I want to do good things, but I don't want to do them to impress God. I want to do good things because God has impressed me, that he's done something for me that makes me want to contribute to the kingdom of God, not because God's going to be impressed by it, but because I am so impressed by what God has done for giving me that I want to do this. Let me read this to you. It says, legalism, living by a list of rules is the lazy way out. Now, just ponder that for a moment. Because it's just so much easier to say, give me the rules, and I will try to follow the rules. And, you know, some people are better at following rules than others. Usually at Mosaic, nobody's really that good at it. We don't teach that. Now, I, I like the, 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 the Bible. I love the promises. I love the, the, the rule aspect, if you will, but for a different reason. They, they guide us and keep us out of trouble. They weren't there for us to prove anything to God. God's saying, if you'll do these things, this, here's what will happen. He gave us the guidelines, if you will, rules or commandments or whatever. But they were for the sake of keeping us from going into ditches and out of trouble. And, but, but if we try to keep those, nobody's going to keep them perfectly. That's why Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, to, but to fulfill it. So when you receive Christ, fulfillment of the law is resident in you. I hope I'm not too classroom today. But I just really felt strongly about this. I'm thinking, because I know when I first got saved, I was so disturbed all the time about trying to live up to the standards that religion created. And I didn't really do that well. You say, well, what did you do? I didn't really do anything bad, but I did bad, I guess, bad if you were a religious person. Because religious people, they don't really, they're just looking around at everybody else. They're not even looking at themselves typically. They're looking at you and telling you what you're doing wrong. So it makes them feel better because they don't have to look at everything they're doing wrong. We rely on rules so we'll know how to respond to any given situation. Paul didn't say be led by the rules. He said be led by the Spirit. I'll get to that in a minute. The trouble is there are never enough rules to cover every contingency. Not only do rules not work well, they also create several problems. The legalist is lured into believing he can satisfy God by keeping man-made rules. He settles for an external morality rather than an inner purity. You guys know that, that the Pharisees took 10 commandments and turned them into over 600. That's what you do. When you're a legalist, if 
you, something new pops up, you got to create a new rule for it. <laughs> and God said, look, I gave 10 really solid commandments. They're really solid. You don't need to add to them because you can't keep 10. God help us if we think we can keep over 600. And the reason we created 600 because we wanted to uh, somehow bury the 10 in there that we can't keep. But there will always be religious people who will judge you if you do things differently than them. If you act differently, you dress differently. I don't know how many of you watched the movie Jesus Revolution. Have you ever watched that? One of the most powerful movies I've seen to date. I sat and wept through it, literally. Susan said, tears are running down my face because it was a great expression of grace. You had hippies that were finding Jesus, and they didn't necessarily act like religious people, not even close, but they were so in love with Jesus, and were they still doing things they had done, but they, the drugs weren't doing it for them, and, and they, they, you know, the church wasn't doing it for them. Nothing was, they were looking for Jesus, and they were looking for Jesus in a way that, that could you help us understand the Lord? And, and so Chuck Smith and that group of Calvary Chapel and, and uh, Greg Laurie, who's still alive today, that, that was a part of that carrying it out, it was so new that church people started quitting the church and leaving because these people didn't look like them, talk like them, or act like them. The church missed it. Chuck Smith didn't. And, and he decided that they were on to something that even he wanted as a pastor. And so we miss a lot because we're looking in the wrong direction and we're looking for the wrong things. And we're looking at other people. And we're measuring whether or not we think other people are saved and it's none of our business. If somebody comes up to me and says, I've made Jesus the Lord of my life and, and they tell me about their life, I can quickly forget that they made Jesus Lord by telling me what they're doing or not doing. And that's just wrong. And it's disturbing and it disturbs us and it will disturb them. I'm not saying that, you know, you, well, let me say this. Your endorsement doesn't matter. <laughs> My endorsement does not matter. If they, somebody tells me they're saved, and I said, well, tell me about that. And they said, well, you know, I gave my life to Jesus. I repented of my sin. And I look at their life. It's real easy for me to get judgmental and say, well, I don't see one sign of your salvation. And you remember what they were trying to get Jesus to do was to prove he was the Messiah. And, and he said, I'm not going to do it. And, I mean, they're trying to get Jesus to prove who he was by what he did. You see, Jesus is Jesus period. Now, he did give his life on the cross. He did the, the, the ultimate. But the reality is that it's disturbing when we are constantly trying to prove to somebody we're saved. And you go to bed at night, and you begin to question your own salvation. Goes on to say, not only do the rules not work, they also create several problems. The legalist lured into believing he can satisfy God by keeping his rules. So, he settles for an external morality rather than an inner purity. His focus is on cultural, get this, cultural conformity instead of biblical spirituality. So in other words, I'm going to conform to a cultural norm. And let me just tell you, the culture in Oklahoma City is different than the culture in Los Angeles. 
So what I'm saying is this. If you live your life by rules and you move throughout your life to different cultures, the battle will be that you're constantly trying to conform to a cultural norm instead of a spiritual purity. I can be just as saved in L.A. as I am here without conforming to culture. And it may look different. It may be different. But the reality is my relationship with Christ is not based on where I live or the culture that I live in. I'm just saved. But what we do is, and I will tell you this because I have friends that have moved from middle America to the West Coast, and I have seen shifts in their lives. The culture began to give shape to them instead of their faith. I'm not judging. I'm, saying, I'm not saying they're not saved. I'm just saying I've seen shifts. And I have to be careful to not try to address the shift, but to love the person. Because it, it, there, there's definitely cultural pockets all over the country and around the world that are different than what we're used to in Oklahoma City. Hopefully I'm not confusing you. This is a very tough thing because, because we battle this. The, the, the fight between the flesh and the spirit will be with us for the rest of our lives. So I want us to have a solid foundation of I know I'm saved because I gave my life to Jesus. That's the only way I know I'm saved. Because there are days I probably don't demonstrate salvation. Don't look at me wrong. And there are days you don't demonstrate salvation. But we do feel better when we work well. We do feel better when we do good things, and that's great. But I'm not saved because I helped the homeless person. I'm saved because Jesus helped this hopeless person. Now, I love doing good things. I love doing good deeds, but, but not for the sake of salvation because I'm saved. I am saved to the bone. To the core of my being, I'm saved. Now, the hope that I have is that my salvation is enough to give somebody else a little hope that they too can be saved. That's my hope. To, to do good is not for my sake so that I can go to heaven. My doing good is so I can introduce other people to what it's like to know a little piece of heaven. I think a lot of our disturbances, we're so focused on working on us that we're not thinking about other people. And when I say that, it's, it's demonstrating a grace to other people that we ourselves have received. But many people have a hard time with grace because you're hard on yourself. He sets himself up as judge over those who don't excel at keeping his rules. This is legalist. All this leads to an ever-increasing bondage. Our most important weapon against legalism is God's grace. It is not just something that saves us. It is there for us daily. In fact, it is the only resource we have that is powerful enough to make us do what God wants us to do. It's the only platform we have that keeps us, makes us, creates a desire in us to do what God wants us to do. So it's very important that you not live your life disturbed by what you haven't done or what you're doing. But remember, when you rest in the grace of God and you thank God for your salvation, it changes the way you live your life. 
It changes the way you respond to people that are different than you, who have a different expression. There are people that, that I, I, I watch a lot of stuff because I'm always trying to learn. I'm a learner. And I, I listen to some people name names about people who are preaching wrong doctrine. And I'm thinking, I know these people personally. And they don't. So if I attack, for instance, uh, any another number of denominations, if I have a, an opinion then you know what? I probably ought to just pray about it and keep it to myself. Tim Keller's Presbyterian. I've never, I don't know if I've ever even been in a Presbyterian church, but I listen to a Presbyterian preacher because I think what he has to say is pretty good. You see what I'm saying? So we often shut things out that are different than us, that have a different expression than us, and, and, and somebody told you they're just bad or they don't get it or they're not full of the Spirit. You don't know who's full of the Spirit or not. You might know that they're full of something, but maybe you're not the Spirit. I say that cautiously, but a little provocatively, too. Because we often are measuring people when we shouldn't be measuring people. We should be loving people. You say, well, if you really love somebody, you'll straighten them out. You know what I figured out? I can't fix anybody. I wish I could, because there are a lot of people I'd like to fix, but... It'd probably start with me, that I need to fix me more than anybody else. Because if I fix me, it doesn't matter how stupid you are or how ridiculous you act. If I fix me, I can look at you and, and say, boy, that was really dumb, but I love you. Maybe this will get a little more exciting at 11. I'm not sure. But when this came to me, I'm thinking, this whole disturbance thing, so disturbed. And I realized most people are just disturbed from Jump Street. I mean, right out of the chute, you get saved. And, and you were actually, there are people who pre-salvation actually will tell you they, they enjoyed life more. And, of course, you're going to say, well, yeah, they were sinned and they were doing all this stuff. No, no. The devil loves it when there are no standards. And in the kingdom of darkness, there are no standards. So when you get born again, there are standards. There are things to live your life by. And once you're introduced to those, you have a hunger for them and a desire for them. But many of them are out of reach for you at this moment. But they're not out of reach totally because we're growing every day. It's like a child. A baby's born. It can't do anything. And then all of a sudden, you're feeding it. And then it starts taking little bites by itself. And then, then you, you know, it can't move. It can't crawl. But then all of a sudden, you put it on the floor. And it, it pulls up. And it starts crawling. And, and, and then it takes a while. Then it starts holding up against a wall and, and kind of walking. And then it lets go of the wall. And it starts walking. And then it falls. That's when the process begins. Baby Christians are the same way. You, 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 you're, you know, somebody feeds you. You don't even know how to read the Bible. You don't know how to pray. But somebody starts teaching you and feeding you the word, and then all of a sudden you start taking in the word yourself, and then, then you start gradually crawling a little bit. It's kind of not really fast, and then you stand up. This is the process. And all of us are in that process. Then one day you might even run. Not in today's world. You virtually run. You have AI run for you. <laughs> if we throw out the rules, won't we be left rudderless? No, indeed. For we have something better than a rule book. We have a personal guide, the Holy Spirit. And this is where it gets really muddy because if I talk about the Holy Spirit 
in certain denominations, it's perceived one way. If I talk about the Holy Spirit in other denominations, like, like for instance, our non-denomination, I would say to you, be led by the Holy Spirit. That means the Holy Spirit's alive and well and active today, and that he does give me unction, and he gives me function, and he gives me wisdom, and he gives me power, and he gives me strength, and he gives me peace. He's just not the third person in the Trinity. He is the active third person in this earth, in my life, in the Trinity. But the Holy Spirit scares some people because he's holy and because he's a spirit. (laughs) Two reasons to be disturbed. You can't see him, but you can experience him. And Paul said, be led by him. He didn't say be led by the rules. He said be led by the Spirit. And the Spirit knows how to keep the rules, and the Spirit knows how to direct your life so that the rules will apply to your life instead of you applying to the rules. But when I got born again, I I felt all eyes were on me. Because when I got born again, I mean, I really got born again, but some people would probably think I didn't really get born again. And so I grew up in this kind of religious culture and I really did want to do good because it's, it's just, it just felt good. I mean, I, I can tell you, I mean, I wanted to go to heaven, but it felt good too. <clears throat> but then there would be people obviously would ask me, when are you going to quit this? When are you going to quit that? When are you going to... Stop asking people when they're going to quit something and start telling them how awesome they are and how wonderful things are and how they can be there because they'll get hungry for it once you get happy about life. There are a lot of Christians. I wouldn't want to be a Christian. You look at people, they got a sour look on their face. You're saved? Yeah, but it ain't fun. I'm just going to heaven someday. Yeah. So you can't do anything either because if, if you do and you're having fun and I'm not, that's not fair. There are people like that. Honey, we got to go to church tomorrow. Please go somewhere else. I don't like got to go to church people. Because what it says is, you know, I love God kind of. But and when I say I don't like him, I'm just saying I don't want to be that person that ever gets up and says, I got to go to church. I want to be, I wanna always want my life to say, I want to worship God. I want to listen to the word of God. I, wanna, I want to. And you know what? I want to because I know I need to because I need him every day. Every moment of every day, I need him. I'm always on the cusp of stupid. And so are you. We ride this, this, this edge of life that is just a fine line. And, and so I, I don't want to do things that contradict the word of God or that violate the word of God. And I, would lo- I only want to use the words that would hurt the heart of God. Because I know how much God loves me regardless. And how much he loves you regardless. Rules are easier because we can see them. Walking with the Spirit requires walking by faith, not by sight. It requires listening, often on a case-by-case basis, and expecting to be surprised at times by the Spirit's prompting. Ultimately, the cure for legalism is recognizing that the Christian life is a relationship, not a set of rules. So many people today, Sunday, church day, many people 
multitudes of people will attend church today because it's a rule. And there's not anything wrong with that, but it, they won't get as much out of it because they're coming and telling God what they're doing for him instead of coming and hearing what God can do for them. And I hope that's what you get here is what God can do for you. I'm not saying he's a butler or a magician. That's not it. I'm saying he's a God of promise. God is the one who created covenant. He's the one who said, this is what I will do. Religious people hate it when you say, well, you know, God's going God's to bless you. If you give, it'll be given. Oh, stop, stop. No, that's what he said. And, and, and you're being robbed if you think that that is a rule instead of a promise. Yeah, he said give. But that becomes the rule that prevents a lot of people from the promise because they don't understand. It's okay to say, God, here's what you told me you would do. You understand grace to the point where you can have a conversation with God without fear of getting spanked. I used to think if I prayed the wrong prayer and said it the wrong way, I might irritate God. Really? You think you can exhaust the grace of God with a dumb prayer? Many people don't want to pray because they're afraid. Oh, God, I'm sorry I said that. I, I shouldn't have said I, 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 I mean, I just love you, God. I don't need anything from you. Yes, you do. You need everything. I need everything from God. I need him to unload heaven because I am bankrupt without him. But legalism would say, you can't talk to God that way. I just did. And so I love it that people have a desire to dot the I's, cross the T's. I love that. But if you're doing it to impress God, you're going to be a miserable Christian. I mean, you think you can impress God? It's like God would respond if he were natural. You see those stars? I put them there. Impress me. There are galaxies you can't see. I did that. And yet we somehow think that stellar behavior impresses God. We're not out to impress God. We're out to honor God with our obedience, with our love. That's what we're out to do. Not so that he will love us more because he can't love you anymore. God can't love you anymore than he does right now. In this moment. And some of you watching online and some of you that are watching this recorded, that's your struggle. You, you have a hard time believing God loves you because you don't love you. And the Bible says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. You need to love you because God is love and God made you. The challenge is that we don't even love ourselves. And I was one of those people when I first got saved that couldn't imagine that God could love me. Even after I got saved for a long time, I, I, I tried and I worked and I did all these things and I never gave up. But when I was introduced to this message, it changed my whole reason for living. It changed my whole reason for serving God. I no longer served God because I didn't want to go to hell. I served God because he so loved me. I've never been loved like this before. And I want to return that love. And, and I know that one of the ways I do that is to love his creation. If, and, and hate is killing the world. It's, it's simple hate. And, and anybody, and of course, if, if, you, if you're on the God side, uh, then, then you're a hater if you say anything that 
contradicts people wanting to do stupid things. I'm going to be real cautious here. But that's the great battle is for the soul of mankind right now. And the things going on in the world are, are they're concerning. They really are. I mean, I could go into details, but I'm sure I would offend numerous people. I'll save that for next week. <laughs> be prepared. But I, I want us to, to remember the important things of our faith. One is that we are loved by God. We are forgiven by God. We are empowered by God. Those are the things that I live by because I know that grace does a couple of things. Grace covers my sin, but grace also empowers me to sin less. Because that's a great fight is, well, grace is not about covering sin. Sure it is. It's all about it. Where sin abounds, grace does more abound. That's called covering. Now, the goal is that grace also empowers, and so when I understand grace, now I work from the platform of that grace realizing I don't want to sin. So it's not an either or. It's a both and. But some preachers who are legalists will always tell you, Grace is not about covering your sin. It's only about empowering you not to sin. I agree. And then I disagree. Because it also covers my sin when I do sin. And hopefully that, if nothing I said today helps you any, that that will help you. Because I don't land on one side or the other. I land on both. Yeah, I know I need the power of grace in my life to do right. But I also know when I do wrong, the power of grace covers that wrong. And that will help you not be disturbed when you do do wrong, is understanding that grace is there to serve us, empower us, cover us. Very important that we grasp these truths. Otherwise, you'll live a very disturbed, conflicted Christian life. And that's why many people quit on church. It's not that they quit on God. They just simply quit on church because church reminds us of the goodness of God and the grace of God, the rewards of God. It also reminds us of our own humanity and our need for God. And there's a conflict there in our soul going, but when I go to church, I hear. And when I hear, I become responsible for what I hear. The Bible flat says to him who knows the right thing to do and does not do it to him it's sin now when i say that some people immediately go that means i'm not going to heaven you know there is a original sin and there's behavioral sin you were born with original sin there's when a baby is born it does not sin but it possesses the power to sin because of original sin make sense so once you get saved that original sin was taken to the cross by Christ, but you still sin. It's called behavioral sin. Now, it still has a residue on your life, but it doesn't rule your life anymore. Original sin rules your life. Until you get born again, you are ruled by your own humanity, by your own sin. But when you get saved... That original sin is wiped away by the cross of Christ and the blood of Jesus, but you still behave in ways that have the residue of who you were born or what you were born with. 
Yeah. That's the introduction. It takes a long time to introduce grace, trust me. You don't want to miss next week because we'll kind of get in. This is the appetizer. We got an entree coming. But I had to lay this foundation because it's so difficult, and I say this for all of us, to understand how God can love people like us. I look and say, God, it's amazing to me. You know every detail of my mind, my heart, my soul, and yet you still sent your own son to die for me, knowing who I was, who I would be, what I might become. So I want you to leave today with this in hand and keep on reminding yourself of the truths of God because the truths of God expose the lies of the devil. I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you, and my presence is fullness of joy. The joy of the Lord that you possess is the strength that you will also work from and work with. That if you speak to this mountain, be moved from here to there, exercising faith. Without faith, you can't please God. And you say, be moved from here, it'll happen. There are mountains in your life that need to be moved. But you've decided that you like mountains. Well, good luck with those. You'll live in the shadow of those the rest of your life. I was preaching in West Virginia one time and, and uh, on the way to the church. It was a beautiful sunny day, but I couldn't see the sun. There were mountains on both sides of the road I was traveling down. And, and when I got to the church, I, I was talking to the pastor. And he said, well, we only get a little bit of sun, visual sun, every day because of the mountains. And I said, man, this would be depressing. He said, you, if you're not from here... It can be a challenge. Those mountains block out the sun. Well, metaphorically speaking, a lot of the mountains that you've been living in have blocked out the brightness of our God and the sun of God. And that you can adjust to that. doesn't mean you're not saved. You can adjust to those mountains if you want, or you can say, I can't live in these mountains. I'm not going to live with these mountains in my life. I'm going to be exposed 100% to the sun if I can. It's very important. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, God, for um, your grace. Thank you that it's not by works that we're saved, but it's your grace throughout the faith that we put in you that we find salvation. And, Lord, I pray today those who have been conflicted and disturbed about their life, their behavior, would realize that your grace is not only covering, but it empowers us to not live in that darkness any longer. And that when we are there, it, we're not stuck there. We can move and go from glory to glory. Help us, God, to experience you out of relationship, not out of rules. To experience you because of your love for us, not our work for you. Thank you for the opportunity that we have, Lord, to put faith and works together and experience the bliss of loving other people, helping other people, bringing hope to the hopeless. Those are wonderful things, God. But those things are coming from the platform of grace. We're not working for grace. We're working from grace. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to pray a prayer I think that will 
help some of you say, okay, I get it, and uh, I want to be saved, and I want to know what true salvation is. True salvation is accepting the fact that you're a sinner, that all people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have. But when we call on his name, the Bible says we are saved. So I want everyone praying this with me, all of you online, all of you here, pray this with me. Say, Father God, thank you so much for loving me so much that you gave your only son to die on the cross for my sin. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Today I give my life to you. I repent of my sin, and I declare today out loud, I am saved. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time or to recommit your life, whatever it might be that you need to, uh, to connect yourself knowingly to God and saying, I know I'm saved, and I, I prayed that prayer, I want you to text the word saved to 405-500-1310. Text the word saved to 405-500-1310. Even if this is, uh, you're watching this a week later, a year later, trust me, text us and it will change your life because you're saying, I made a statement today. Do it right now. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Crow. I just want to take a quick moment to thank you for joining us online. We hope you have a blessed week this week and get to be a blessing to those around you. I want to invite you to join us at Mosaic Church OKC next week at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. or join us online. God bless you.